scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11 and going to 25. The uh, Bible's in front of you, the small print Bibles, it's on page 1271 and goes over into the next page. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you shall silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. try every now and again. <clears throat> Welcome back to United States of America, a series that we've been going through that just looks at kind of how to be a Christian in today's America. 
you know, how do you live for Jesus in a world where, uh, you know, we're having the election cycle that we're having this year, where there's the kind of division that there seems to be now in our world? How do you live in an America where, uh, you know, the high school teacher down the road is telling people that Christians are the problem and, and are the danger to society? What do you do? How do you live? How do you respond? What, you know, what does it mean to follow Jesus in today's America? And that's kind of been the subject that we've been going through. And over the first couple of weeks, what we did is, is we just tried to lay a foundation. A foundation that, you know, if we don't get those first two things down, then we're really going to struggle to figure out what it means, what it looks like to live for Jesus in America today. And the first one was putting patriotism in its place and remembering that we are first citizens of Christ's kingdom. And, and secondly, we're citizens of places in this nation. And we have brothers and sisters in our, in our kingdom, in that, in that kingdom that knows no boundaries, in that kingdom that's never going to end, uh, that you know, also live all over the world in temporary kingdoms. And none of these kingdoms, including America, are going to last forever except for our king's kingdom. And so just keeping that in perspective and then learning that, okay, if that's the case, then the second thing we need to understand and embrace as we live is that Anything we have, any advantage that we have, we should leverage for the kingdom. And so if, if our American citizenship provides us with certain advantages that many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have, we should leverage those for the kingdom's sake. So whether that's your right to vote, whether that's uh, you know, greater wealth than many people have, whether that's greater access to technology, uh, whether it's the freedoms that we still enjoy to be able to speak up, and, and to say what we, what's on our mind, you know, and, and to be able to speak up for Christ without fear for our lives. Uh, we should take advantage of those rights and those opportunities, those liberties, and leverage them for the kingdom. And if, if you missed either of those messages, I would encourage you to go back because they're really foundational to the rest of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, none of it really is going to make sense if we don't have those first two things really grounded. And today we're going to talk about uh, obviously, the, the title is Model Citizens, but, you know, every society, every, whether it's America or whether it's, you know, Timbuktu, they have authority systems. There's tiers of authority that everyone answers to somebody. Uh, and then there's rules that come along with that, right? And, and rules that you're supposed to follow and obey. And, and we have all run up against rules that we think are dumb from time to time. Sometimes we run up against authorities that we think are dumb from time to time. And when you do, it's kind of hard to want to do that stuff. I, I was thinking, you know, back in, in, my, in my life, and there's been a couple of instances where I felt like there were some pretty dumb rules. And, and one of them, I was, we had just moved into this new apartment complex. And uh, with, this was back even before I met... Julie, I think right before I met Julie, so this was a, it was a good apartment complex on the whole because that's when I met Julie. But <laughs> it was when we first moved in, they had this rule. Apparently, they had lots of rules, lots of weird rules. The, the lady that ran it just it was kind of quirky, I guess. And one of the rules was you can't back into a parking space. I don't know why she would care whether I pull in forward or pull in backward, but she cared. And, and they let me know quickly that I had forgotten that rule. <laughs> And so they lined me out, and from then on, I pulled straight in, even if I needed to unload something out of my trunk, and it would have been a lot. Still, okay, <laughs> we'll pull in forward. I don't, don't get it. Still never got a straight answer on that one. Another one that I felt like was a pretty dumb rule, I don't even know if it really was a rule, 
when I was in middle school, and I've got to just give you a disclaimer. I mean, everyone's a little bit dumb in middle school, right? Uh, and I was a little bit, of, I guess this proves that I was somewhat nerdy or geeky in middle school. And, and so when I was in middle school, I had a couple of buddies who were also kind of musical nerds, I guess. And we walked into music class one day. This was not a fun music class. It was just, you know, middle school music class. And we sat down and we had a substitute that day. And it was taking forever to get the class started. We were bored. And we had this thing we liked to do during that season because we were nerdy middle schoolers. And, and we would just make chords together, like harmonize, you know. And so one of us would sing, ah, and the next one would sing, ah, you know. We'd build this little chord. And, and we'd just go, it didn't take long, you know, but we just thought we were pretty cool because we could harmonize with each other. And, and so we were sitting there bored and we just did that, you know. And you'd think if there was ever a safe place to harmonize, it would be music class. But did you know that substitute gave us detention? <laughs> I served detention for harmonizing in music class, and I bet that's something you can't claim. <laughs> so there's sometimes that, that rules are passed down and, or authority figures are there, and we don't agree with it, and we think they're, you know, the rules are pretty dumb. And so that's when we tend to get in trouble. That's when we tend to say, you know, well, I'm just going to break this rule because I don't agree with it. And, and we see this in our life because, you know, there's a lot of our politicians and government leaders that we don't really care for. And they make a lot of rules, and many of them we think are pretty dumb. And so sometimes, you know, it's really easy to justify. Well, I don't like the IRS. Who does? So what if I found one too many loopholes this year? You know, uh, I'll keep more of my money, and uh, they can stop stealing so much of mine. Uh, you know... The game warden. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, who says I can't kill, but more, you know, except this many deer this year, you know, maybe I kill one more and I just won't tell them about it. Um, you know, the, the list could go on and on. Situations that you get yourself into and you're like, well, I don't really get the rule. I don't understand the rule. I don't like the rule. I don't like the guy that's enforcing the rule. So maybe this rule is not that big a deal if I break it. And sometimes I wonder if we understand just what we're called to be when it comes to model citizens. I think most of us, if I said, all right, this sermon is about uh, you being a model citizen, you'd say, check, I got that one. You know, I mean, you look around at this country and, uh, you know, and you rank all the citizens, I think I'd be in that top tier. I'm not one of the takers. I'm not one of the moochers. I'm not one of the, uh, you know, criminals. I'm not getting busted for anything, you know. I'm not a menace to society. So I think I'd fit in that model citizen here. But again, we always fall into trouble when we compare ourselves against the standard of our nation or the standard of our culture and not to the standard of scripture and that Jesus set for us. And so what we're going to do today is look and, and I think that this is not, you know, sometimes I tell you, well, you know, this is, this may seem kind of idealistic. This is what we're striving for. But this is one that I really think is attainable. And it's not just, you know, Jesus idealism, oh, we'll never be as perfect as Jesus. This is something that early Christians were called to and, and lived out. And I think we can too. So, let's just dive in here and see what's required of us. Because the Apostle Peter, in a letter that's ascribed to him, wrote to Christians scattered throughout regions of the Roman Empire. And he wrote to them about what it meant to live as Christians 
in the culture that they found themselves living in. You might have caught it, he said, as foreigners and strangers in this world, wherever God has placed you, whether, wherever you are from, uh, you're, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. Let's talk about what it means to live for Christ where you find yourself. And, and that's the, the discussion here. But the people that he was writing this to, I mean, we've got to understand a little bit of the context of their world because they weren't Americans, right? They weren't living in America. And we get America, but, but we, well, sometimes we get America. Sometimes maybe we struggle and scratch our heads a little. But uh, don't doubt they did the same with their culture. But it was very different from ours in many ways. And, and these people that he would have written to, most of them would have been people who, you know, they would have been Greeks, they would have been Jews, uh, but whether they were Greek or Jew, the Roman Empire had taken over their homeland. I mean, the Roman Empire was not very popular in a lot of circles. Now, I mean, some people liked it better than others. There's certain advantages to being a part of a big, powerful empire. You know, there's less likely that other people are going to come mess with you because you're a part of the Roman Empire. And there's, other, you know, the economic things that happened as a good thing because of the Roman roads and things that were built. And so there were advantages to being part of the Roman Empire, but a lot of people kind of resented being taken over, kind of resented that the Roman citizens got all these privileges and the rest of them didn't. And, and there was a lot of resentment there. Especially, you would expect it among Christians. Now the Jews... They really resented Rome as much or more than anybody. And they were constantly rebelling against their authority. And that ultimately led to the demise of Jerusalem in 70 AD. As they tore down the temple just as Jesus had prophesied that they would. But Christians were especially hated by the Roman Empire. Not because of their behavior, as we're going to see. But because of their beliefs and what they were spreading. See, they went around touting this gospel, which would have been a term that they had kind of stolen from Caesar. You know, when Caesar did something great, there was a gospel about it, some good news of what Caesar had decreed or what he had accomplished or what Rome's armies had gone out and done. And now these Christians were going around spreading their own gospel about a different king and saying that he's the only king and that he's above all other kings and that he alone is divine and that the emperor is not divine. And that he's not the king of kings like Rome liked to say that he was. Or the son of the gods like Rome liked to say he was. There was only one son of God. And it was very controversial what they said. In fact, the Romans called them atheists. Because they didn't worship the Roman pantheon of gods. And instead followed this Jesus guy whom they had crucified. Romans had. And so there was a lot of tension between Rome and the Christians. And so Peter writes this letter that circulates throughout the Roman Empire into various regions where Christian churches had been planted, some of them doubtless by Paul and other missionaries like him. And he writes this letter under how are you supposed to live in this day and time where we're persecuted for what we believe? How are you supposed to live in this day of time where, where there's so much immorality, where there's so much corruption. Sound familiar? <laughs> but worse in so many ways. You know, some people would say, well, that seems to be where we're heading. We'll see if we get there. But in the meantime, we can identify with some of where they're at. But on the other hand, we have to admit 
None of us have been tortured lately for our faith. None of us have been persecuted lately for our faith in a way that would be lining up with what they experienced. So keep that in mind as we hear what Peter had to say to them. And the first thing he says right off the bat is, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now when he says pagans, he's not saying it in like a derogatory way like we might would expect in our culture if you called someone a pagan. That was their religion. Uh, that'd be like in our day saying, live such good lives amongst the atheists and agnostics and the Hindus and the, you know, the Muslims that they would be impressed, you know, that even though they want to accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds. And it, this is like, you know, live such a life that when they haul you and drag you into court and say, this guy's a menace to society, he's one of those Christians, uh, you know, the defense starts calling witness after witness that says, well, you know, I don't know what you're saying about this guy, but I can tell you what he did for me and my family. And what a blessing he was to me and how he helped me out of a tight spot. Witness after witness comes and testifies to the good things that they've done. This is the kind of life that Peter's saying to live. To, to be such an upstanding citizen that when they come and they press charges against you, all they've got is that you're a Christian. And they don't have any other dirt on you. Because you have lived such a life. There's just not any dirt to be had. And there's a lot of good things to be said. And so it's like Peter saying that Christians ought to be any nation's dream come true. <laughs> you know, we, we ought to be like, hey, send those guys over here. We could use some citizens like that. Well, I mean, Christians ought to be the very best citizens that any country could want. And we wish that Peter would have stopped there. So then we could pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> we could say, all right, got that. I'm a pretty good citizen. I think most countries would be glad to have me. But no, Peter has to go get all specific. <laughs> he has to line out some examples for us, get some details laid out of what he has in mind when he says to live such a good life. So he says things like, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. And he listed the king or emperor as the supreme authority. And he listed governors to imply that even the people representing the emperor, you know, at the more of the local level, well, they're also to be submitted to their authority. But notice, I mean, as we've already said, this, these governors <laughs> were not friendly to Christians. They had not been friendly to Jesus. And yet... Peter tells them to submit to him. But he doesn't say submit to every authority because they're great, because they're awesome, because we think they're really nice people <laughs> and they're passing really just laws and they're always just on target. You know, they're never oppressive to anyone. So submit yourself to their authority. No, he just says do it for God. Do it for God because the emperor at this time, scholars believe, was Nero. Submit to that guy? I mean, you want to talk about immoral? You want to talk about corruption? Let's talk about a guy who, after burning down part of his own city, blames Christians for it, starts killing them. 
and torturing them. Submit to that guy, do it for God. See, God is a God, and always has been, of order, of laws, of justice. And, uh, you know, government is better than no government, even when it's imperfect. And every human government will be imperfect. And some of them, granted, are more imperfect than others. And it's not that they shouldn't be corrected or held accountable. But, insofar as it is up to you, submit to every authority that's put over you. And do it for God, not for them. God is a God of order. He also says, show proper respect for everyone. Not only do you submit to their authority, but you show proper respect. And here's where it gets just (laughs) really unpleasant. I mean, it starts out easy. Believers, okay, you know, show respect to one another. That's not always easy, but we get that one. Respect to God, well, yeah, done. We should definitely respect God. And then he throws in the whole king-emperor thing again. And again, you think about what this guy was like. Show him respect. Wow. Talk about that more in a minute. He went on to say, and you may have caught this, and so I just wanted to touch on it for a moment, because this is one of those things that's confusing for us a lot of times. And, but he talked about the whole slavery thing, because in Rome there was a lot of slavery. It was part of the economic system of their day. Slaves submit to your masters, whether it's a good and considerate one or a harsh one. Submit to them. So, not even just government authorities, you know. We all know that being a good citizen in America isn't just about the government, but what we do in society, how we contribute to a society, how we, you know, how we work at our job, how we treat clients and employees and employers, and, and how we treat our families and the family system and how we honor that or don't honor it all that has to do with what it means to be a citizen as well and he addresses these folks in particular now first off you know our image of slavery is very much shaped by the American experience with slavery and so just note that first off Peter is not advocating for slavery he's just talking to people who are living in that reality as to how to live in that reality he's instructing And also realize when you picture the slavery of that day that it was a different thing, you know, in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean it was always a bed of roses. (laughs) But it was not racially based. It was not just manual labor. Uh, Oftentimes, in some cases at least, we know that people who were uh, slaves often had it better than many of the poor people in Rome. You know, they had better living conditions, in many cases more power, uh, than, than even common citizens of Rome would have had, just the common folks. Because if they were in an influential household or something like that, they might rise up to a position of authority themselves. Many of them were freed, either during their master's lifetimes or in his will. Uh, some of them could save money. They were allowed to earn their own money and at some point buy their freedom. 
Now, if you were sentenced to slavery as a form of punishment, your life was miserable in some of the worst conditions imaginable in mines and places like that. But it was a different sort of system than what we're familiar with. You know, people like physicians and accountants were slaves in many cases uh, that were held by either the government, the public, or by individuals. So it's just a very different circumstance. But regardless, he tells us, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, submit to the authorities over you. And you can just imagine that as slaves were hearing the gospel and embracing this new gospel that there was this, you know, the whole thing you've probably heard if you've read many of Paul's letters he says stuff like, in Christ there is no Greek, no Jew, no slave no master and they're like, wow you mean in in God's eyes I'm equal to my master this guy that's been beating me, I think I'm going to start treating him like my peer instead of like my boss, you know Uh, and so then the apostles come back and say, now yeah, in Christ, we're all equal. But right now, you've got someone that's been placed in authority over you. And you need to live such a life as to be above reproach. Peter wrote, he said, It's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You know, in other words, don't come saying, oh, I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted when you broke the law. (laughs) If there's a reason you're being punished, then that's not something that you can get all, you know, look at me, I'm suffering for the cause, you know. But, But if you did nothing wrong, and they're still persecuting you, then bear it for Christ and know that it's commendable before God, that God sees that and he's pleased with it. Now where would Peter get such an idea? This, I mean, really sounds pretty unpleasant. (laughs) Why would you want to sign up to be a Christian if this is what you're called to do? Where would he get such a notion? Maybe from the author and perfecter of our faith. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Let's just consider the example of Christ. Peter said, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. A lot of us can't even handle that on Facebook. (laughs) When, when he suffered, he made no threats. Some of us would consider that weakness. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Again, many of us would rather have a good lawyer, I think. But look at the example that Christ set for us. What he bore for us. And if you think that what Peter is asking is too much, think again. Because our Savior did that and more. For you, for me. We would have preferred that Peter just leave it at be good citizens. 
be the kind of citizens that would be every nation's dream come true. But instead he had to go and get all meddling. <laughs> I don't know if I say medley, that would be the wrong word. So I don't know what that word is. But he had to start stepping on toes, didn't he? He had to start getting specific about what this looks like to really be the kind of citizen that every dream, every nation would dream of. And so let's consider it in our context, in our world, in our setting. What does it mean to submit yourselves to every authority instituted by man? Again, it means even if you don't like the IRS, you pay your taxes. You pay your federal ones, and your state ones, and your local ones. You don't look ways for ways to dodge it. It means that when there's rules about hunting and fishing... Even if you don't like them, even if you don't get them, even if you think they're dumb, even if you don't like the game warden, you follow them. It means state and local laws should matter, even traffic laws should matter. It means when the police pull you over, you are submissive, you submit to their authority, even if they're acting like a jerk, and acting like they're power hungry, because we all run into those guys every now and then, <laughs> and we think, you probably shouldn't be a police officer, but you are. Uh, but we submit to them too. You can think of more examples of that, no doubt. Regulatory agencies that tell you who you can hire or you know, how, the, who, you know, who, what, what's a, what constitutes a fireable offense and what doesn't or work conditions and they've made all these laws you know, in the EPA and all and on and on and on. Immigration laws. There's a whole bunch of them and a lot of them we think are dumb or they're not convenient for us. Peter says, just Submit. Not for their sake, not because they're such good rules, not because they're such wise politicians and governing leaders. Do it for God. And then the one that we really don't like. Show proper respect for everyone. I mean, we get the whole Christian thing, we get the God thing, but boy, some of these politicians, <laughs> some of these corrupted leaders, some of these immoral Jerks <laughs> that run for office and get elected to office because no one upstanding wants to do it anymore. Show respect to them. If Hillary or Trump get elected, we're supposed to show respect to them. I'd go so far as to say we're supposed to show respect to them now while they're in the process. Obama? Friend, If Peter could write these words to people sitting under an emperor like Nero, then we got nothing. <laughs> and if Jesus is going to be the example, and if he was able to stand people spitting on him while he hung naked on a cross, if he was able to stand in front of men like Herod, you want to talk about immoral and corrupt. He had the, their family had been for generations. If he could stand in front of people like Pilate, if he could stand in front of people like Caiaphas, these arrogant and haughty jerks, and show respect, even as they sent him to his death, 
then it's time for us to man up or woman up and show respect. Doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean we don't speak up when we think something's wrong. But it does mean we have to have a filter for what we say. Is this Christ-like? A filter for even what we share, whether it's an email or a you know, Facebook post or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that's very disrespectful. And we find ourselves chuckling at it or we want, you know, we kind of agree with it, so we want to share it. But Peter says, even if you agree with it, show respect. And again, no matter how bad we think they are, the folks to whom this was written had it just as bad and worse. And the author and the perfecter of our faith led by example. He's not calling us to do anything that he didn't do. And this, of course, goes beyond government into our employment. You know, you've got a boss you don't like It's easy to not give 100%. Peter says, do it for the Lord. Family life's not good. Don't leave them in the dust. Try to make it right. Stand up for your family. Stand up, be someone who contributes to society. Don't lie, don't cheat your clients, don't cheat your customers. In short, be the sort of people that even the folks who want to hate us have a hard time explaining why. Even the folks who want to hate us have a hard time explaining why. I mentioned at the beginning that this is not just one of those Bible things where it's like there's this standard up there and and it's just unattainable. And, you know, maybe when we get to heaven, we'll be that good. You know, we'll be just like Jesus. But until then, we're just kind of making progress. And no one can expect to really, you know, live up to that starting today. But I want to argue that this is not the case with this one. Each of us have it within our power to be a model citizen. You may not ever be perfect. You may not, on this side of heaven, you may not ever, uh, never, you know, think a bad thought or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. You can go down the list. But this one, submitting to authorities, showing proper respect, being someone who contributes to the good of society and not to the bad, being the kind of person that even when they want to hate you, they can't find any dirt on you. This is doable. It's been done before. You know, Peter wrote this letter. It was addressed to strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those were always just kind of names to me. I didn't really mean anything. And then I ran across this resource, this letter. It's actually not in your Bible. It's a letter from a guy called Pliny the Younger. Can you imagine if we had a letter, First Pliny? That would be weird. But we don't because this guy was not a Christian. In fact, far from it, he was an anti-Christian. The Apostle John might have labeled him an anti-Christ. Pliny the Younger was a governor of Rome, one of those representatives of the emperor. He wrote a letter to the emperor about Christians, and we're going to look at it. This is 
a statue that's supposed to be him. And guess where he was governor? Pontus in Bithynia. And he would have lived around 111 AD, so probably 50-ish years after that letter we were reading was written. And so he's probably talking to, you know, he's ruling over probably the kids and grandkids of the people who first received that letter and those instructions to submit themselves to the authority, to show proper respect, to be the kind of citizens that every nation would dream of. And he writes this letter to Emperor Trajan. And I just want to read you a little bit of it. Because I think it's, well, it's insightful on a lot of levels. It's just interesting to kind of hear about our forefathers in the faith. But uh, it's also interesting to hear about what they endured and what they committed themselves to. He wrote to the emperor, It is my practice, my lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? I think that's what you call brown nosing. <laughs> You're sucking up to the emperor there. And uh, he said, I have never participated in trials of Christians before. This is new to me. I therefore do not know what offenses it is the practice to punish or investigate and to what extent. And so he begins to talk about what he's done so far, you know, and, and how he's kind of approached it and, and you know, how he's kind of tried to torture information out of people and get information out of people on who the Christians are and what they've been up to and what they've been doing and what are their offenses and he's been trying to find out and he's found a few who used to be Christians and they abandoned the faith, they left the faith and now he calls them you know, informers or whatever, you know, people who uh, are giving him information on what these Christians are really up to. And so he says that these informers asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault, the Christians, their error, had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but instead not to commit fraud, not to commit theft or adultery nor to falsify, falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they, the informers, affirmed, they had ceased to do after my edict, by which, in accordance with your instructions, I had forbidden political associations." Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons... Of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes, are and will be endangered. 
For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and the farms. But it seems possible to check and cure it. It is certainly quite clear that the temples, which had been almost deserted, have begun to be frequented, that the established religious rites long neglected are being resumed, and that from everywhere sacrificial animals are coming, for which until now very few purchasers could be found. Hence it is easy to imagine what a multitude of people can be reformed if an opportunity for repentance is afforded. It's an interesting window into an ancient world, but I just want to point out first that his prediction wasn't quite on target. (laughs) See, it's pretty incredible that by 111 AD, you know, far less than 100 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, Christianity had so spread that it had practically shut down pagan worship in these communities. And Rome was in a panic. And they're sending men like Pliny to right the situation, right the ship. And they're taking desperate measures to get the temples back running, to get the pagan worship rites going again. To threaten people. You know, to torture people. To do what it takes to get them back on the straight and narrow of pagan worship. And, and, you know, they start to see a little success. And he's like, I think we can get this thing, you know, I think we can beat it, emperor. But history would show that he was wrong. That try as they may, Christianity continued to spread and disrupt that empire until it overthrew it. I find it a lot of things interesting in here. I find it interesting that two female slaves would be deaconesses in the church, leaders of the church. Two female slaves, people as about as low on the society chart as you could get in that day, were made leaders in the church. And this church, it says, you know, was composed of, of people of every rank. <laughs> you know, so here are these female slaves put in a leadership position, doubtless over people that in society far outranked them. What an interesting look into their world. But did you catch that when this guy, when Pliny, set out to find out what kind of offenses he could get these Christians for, and he even found people to inform on them, you know, people who had turned on Christianity and and turned back to Rome, and he quizzed them on, okay, what are these people actually doing? Give me some good stuff. Give me something that we can prosecute with, that we can kill these people for, besides just they're Christians. And they said, well, we'd meet, you know, once a week. And we'd pledge ourselves, basically, to be the most awesome citizens you can imagine. We'd pledge ourselves to not cheat anybody, to not steal anything, uh, you know, to not commit adultery, to not lie, um, to not commit fraud. And, <laughs> and when this was over, we'd go share a meal together. And then we'd go out and do those things we committed ourselves to do. He's like, uh, Emperor, I'm going to just write you this letter. We've got these people, and, and I'm supposed to be kind of weeding them out, but they're kind of the best citizens we've got. Uh, <laughs> what should we do about this? All he could find to pin on, even the ones he tortured and got information out of, was just that they held to these crazy superstitions. 
They don't worship all the gods like we do. They're kind of out there in left field. Pretty dangerous stuff they're preaching. Guess we'll just have to kill them for being Christians. Because we can't find anything on them to punish them for. Christians ought to be every nation's dream come true. And could it be that the fact that they lived such upstanding lives had a lot to do with the power of their witness? That they stood in stark contrast to the people all around them in their culture. Nobody could find anything bad to say about them. They were constantly helping out people. We, we'll talk about that another week, but I mean, they did a better job of taking care of Rome's citizens than Rome did. And so Christianity spread. Could it be that one of the reasons that the church in America sometimes seems to be on retreat while we read that statistics are growing and growing of people who just are backing away from religion of any kind and just calling themselves non-affiliated. That's the fastest growing demographic in our country. And could it be that part of the reason is that we still look like everybody else? That we're just average citizens, not model citizens. That we're not the kind of people that every society would be lucky to have. Is there something we've talked about today that you'd like to write down on your card and say, I need to work on this? If I did this, I'd be a better citizen. You know, I haven't always submitted to authority. Sometimes, you know, the rules that I think are dumb, I just break them. Write it down. Let's do better. I haven't always shown respect like I'm supposed to because they don't seem very respectable. But if I just... Keep in mind, I'm doing this for God. I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing this for God. Then maybe I could do it. Write it down. Work on it. Commit yourself to it today. Christianity is not for, <laughs> for wimps or sissies, right? It's tough stuff. It's radical stuff. It changes a lot about you when you come to Christ and start pursuing His way of life. Let's pray together and then we're going to share in a song. Father, once again, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus' perfect example. And for that of the early believers who, even though they were imperfect like we are, also set such an amazing example of what can happen when Christians truly live out your word and do what you've called us to do. Uh, we admit that we haven't always been the kind of citizens you've called us to be. And some of us, we need, we need to confess today our attitudes or our verbal treatment of those you've placed in authority over us. Some of us need to confess cheating or lying or, lying or laziness or it's a whole list of things that we all deal with different stuff. Holy Spirit, hold us to a higher standard and help us to live in such a way that we would be any nation's dream come true. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.